And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea, captains, courageous princes of the universe, the ladies who lunch, conversationalists across the fruited plain, and the people on the wrong side of the tracks, this is Open Line Friday. And we are 100% a no AI content zone. How's that? Good to have all of you with us. It is Friday. It is the end of the week. It's been a very, very busy week. And uh, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better today or tomorrow. Uh, and and uh, Cyphers and I has asked about bots in the chat. So far, I haven't seen them yet. <laughs> Don't jinx us. Okay, all right. Uh, speaking of the chat, the chat windows are open on all five destination platforms. We are broadcasting live to YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, Twitch, and Kick. We'll see what happens. Uh, anyway, yeah, so, yeah. Uh. So this show is also uh, also available on various different podcast platforms. If uh, you are so inclined to consume our product that way, of course you can always you can always leave a comment even if you're not live, uh, or you can send an email live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. Join our Discord server. The links are all over the place. So you can uh, you can get involved in the conversation that way as well. And if you do listen to this as a podcast, I do want to invite you to check out the live video every now and again because sometimes we have visual aids. <coughs> sometimes we have uh, we have stuff that doesn't necessarily translate to visual very well. But you know, we do our best. We're working on it. We 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 do our best with what we have here. And what we have is a really good audience, a really fun group of people. And uh, and it looks like we're buffering on kick. Look at that. That's the way it goes. It looks like we're buffering everywhere. Are, are we buffering everywhere? What's going on here? Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, let's say hi to people in the chat. I see Cam, I see Keely, I see an MS. Uh, snap, I snap. Cam says, did you like how I slid on a Twitch listing? Yes, I saw you on Twitch last night. Last night was... was an interesting conversation, wasn't it? On the Ranker Pit last night, Cameron Pasha, our guest, talking about the stuff going on over at Lucasfilm. Crimson Mist, no buffering on my end. Okay, that's good. Welcome. That's a name I've not heard before. <coughs> one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to do that. Welcome, swishy-wushy thing. When when I see names I don't recognize that are brand new. So, eventually, it's on my list. It's on my list. I got stuff to do. I have a long list of stuff to do. And you, 
you uh, you would not believe the list of stuff that I still have to do to get ready for tomorrow morning. Good morning, Multiverse, with the week's headlines tomorrow. <coughs> I'm pulling double duty because not only am I reporting on the regular stuff, I've also got to cover the horror stuff because Tim's going to be out. So I'm going to be busy for the rest of the day. And it has been a very busy week. It's been, it's, there's been a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of stuff going on. So uh, we can get right into it. Yes, it is Open Line Friday. And for those of you who are brand new to all of this, what that means is that uh, you can join the program. Why are we doing that? You can join the program <coughs> live. Uh, if you're with us live, if you're if you're not with us live, you can't call in, but uh, you can still leave a comment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and put in the um, the chat here. The link for people what to uh, what to join us with. And I'm going to put that everywhere. Let me uh, let me let me make sure that it's in there. Um, I'm not gonna put it over on Kick just yet. All right, so there's that. Let me pin it so people can see it. See, this is this is when this is when I need a producer, uh, somebody who can do some of this stuff behind the scenes. All right, so there it is. There is the uh, there is the link. Uh, for those of you who want to uh, be involved in the call, questions, opinions—I mean, you can you can share and do. Uh, Crimson Miss is going to settle for lurking or working. All right, that's 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 good too. That's good too. Hopefully, uh, you hear something that's uh, that's worth coming back for for the next one. So, anyway, yeah, big big week. Uh, Tondra Newton out at Disney, the chief uh, chief diversity officer. You've got Warner Brothers selling off some of their music library assets and uh, possibly uh, HBO content and getting licensed for Netflix. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. And there's stuff going on outside of our wheelhouse as well, and that's not stuff we're going to get into. But boy, has it been a busy week. We planted watermelon and zucchini and cucumber. I'm tarred. <coughs> All right, MS is joining the program. Welcome, sir. How you doing? It's been a while. Hello. I'm good. Yeah, it has been a while. Been really busy. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I did want to ask a couple of questions. Okay. Can you guys hear? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm in my garage. <laughs> Yes, I mean, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about that writer's strike. So I know I'd asked you in the uh, Discord just about, um, you know, the idea of like when Don Coscarelli had made, a, you know, a movie like Phantasm and he was able to, you know, I read I read his book about how he made the movie, you know, mm -hmm. he would rent the camera on the Friday night and return on the Monday morning. So he gets the extra day without paying. Right. Right. All these little tricks that he did, you know, to, to make that movie. And then, you know, it goes out and becomes a big hit in the drive-ins. And, uh, you know, you're looking at Hollywood today. 
and you're thinking, well, you know, ha- first of all, has the bubble burst? Is it is it just time for Hollywood to say, hey, we got to stop sinking three hundred million dollars into a movie, and we got to start sinking some money into these smaller movies or that are being made on a budget, maybe faster as well, that is going to drive people into the theaters and also give us a big return. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think those conversations are probably already happening. I mean, you look at films like Megan, uh, Cocaine Bear, stuff that's, that's done for... Uh, relatively little money, uh, and you know you could make these films for eighty, you know, fifty, eighty, hundred million dollars, and come out okay. Now horror has been where it's been happening lately, as far as what the studios have been doing. But you're right, and and this is something that we've talked about both here on Bunker and on H two O. When all of this settles when the dust settles and the writer strike is done and if the if the screen actors guild does their thing when all the deals are finally in place and everybody can go back to work it is going to be uh it's going to be a priority we've got to get stuff out that is not going to take a lot of time to get out in the theaters because the theaters are going to be clamoring for it as well the theater owners the national chains and all that but independent projects are going to be a completely different thing. The studios are still going to want to do, you know, 100, 150 million. Because the, the number that I've heard, if the rumors are true that Bob Iger had a meeting with Kevin Feige and said, your budgets going out from here are going to be limited to 150 million at, and, and that's it. That's the beginning of some fiscal responsibility and restraint that basically says we we can't just keep throwing money at a project in order to make it work. You've got to you've got to limit, you know, like we've talked about with Gary Kurtz and and George Lucas. You know, you don't have the resources to do that. You've got to find another way to make it happen. And I think those conversations are already taking place. I think. I think David Zaslev has had those conversations since before he took over at Warner Brothers. I think Bob Iger is having to make, you know, have those conversations, whether he likes it or not. And so you're going to see probably probably the mid-tier production come back a little bit. I mean... Uh, this right. new this new Jennifer Lawrence comedy that's out this uh, what's I don't even know what it's called uh, culture wouldn't saw it so nobody else would have to because uh, apparently it's not very good but <laughs> well, it's tell. it's a throwback to those 80s and 90s you know well, raunchy comedy yeah. type thing but that's a cheap movie compared to Avengers and yeah. so you know if you're gonna do those kind of things. You know, Wes Anderson has got Asteroid City that's coming out, and it's got a lot of different stars in it, but it doesn't look like it's just on the face of it. I haven't I haven't seen it. I would imagine that his budget for that is probably less than your big tentpole blockbusters, even though he's got a bunch of stars in it. They probably, you know, some of them are probably not in it for very long. <clears throat> and I was thinking about this the other day. If you had a really solid, say, a crime thriller, you know, a cop show like a like a French Connection or uh, 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 
Cagney and Lacey or Chinatown or, you know, something like that, you could do something like that for anywhere from 50 to 80 million. Or you could do it cheaper, but you're going to end up, you know, if you want to get any kind of name recognition, you want to get some stars, you know, you give me 80 million, I can, no hard feelings. Thank you, Keely. Uh, if you give That's me. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Can, can I just interject? Yeah, go ahead. Because you're kind of hitting on something I was thinking too. And it's just that when I remember when I was younger, it was the new Kevin Costner movies out, the new Al Pacino movies out. Mm-hmm. And that's what drove me to the theater and what drove people to the theater. Sometimes it didn't even matter if, like, uh, I remember when Kevin Costner did Dance with Wolves, for instance, and then he he had those three, you know, what people called the 4W movies because he had Dance with Wolves, Waterworld, A Perfect World, War the Buttons, right? So, you know, they all had a W (laughs) in the title. And, you know, like, I went and saw War the Buttons with my friends, as a teenager or not maybe maybe even yeah young teenager right but to us it didn't matter what the critics said hey, it's kevin costner yeah i like kevin costner he's a good actor and it's what drove me to the theater and that's not what seems to drive people to the theater anymore well some of that has to do with the fact that we don't have there's not an emphasis on movie stars like there used to be. I mean, um, you have you have the Tom Cruises and the Denzel Washingtons and, you know, that, that set, but there's not that many of them left. And Denzel's not doing a whole lot. He's got, you know, he's got the new Equalizer coming out. But there's really not a whole lot of stars... In the old style traditional sense, you have, you know, you have people like, um, you know, Chris Evans and and Kevin Klein and Kevin Costner. And so, but but really not not really you know, Harrison Ford is a movie star and you could sell an audience on a Harrison Ford movie. You could have Harrison Ford playing a, a dairy farmer and people go watch it. You know, Morgan Freeman, same way. Denzel Washington, Tom yeah, Cruise. Yeah, Harrison Ford was like that yeah. in the 80s. But there's maybe there's maybe a half a dozen like that right now because it's all been about the franchise. It's all been about the IP. It's a Star Wars movie. It's a it's a, a, a Marvel movie. It's a you know, DC movie. And it all becomes part of this overall big franchise this series of films and now you start to think okay well i have to watch all of these different things there's no single one shot one and done watch this movie and you're finished you know the spider-man stuff is even you know doing doing that same kind of thing because now you got you, you got morbius out there you get craven and it's still kind of building into this shared universe thing and not not everything needs to be part of a shared universe i'm perfectly fine if you want to make a movie like so so let me ask you a question for example go ahead yeah so let me ask a question about that because it feels like what hollywood thought was we can do away with stars and we can make these big budget movies 
people are going to be flocking. They're flocking to the franchise, mm-hmm. not the star. So we don't have to pay these guys a lot of money. We can put extra money maybe into the special effects, and we'll get a higher return for that. But, well, you know, I don't know. I don't want to ex- say except- the bubble's bursting, but not on not on, on franchises, but... See, the thing about it is, though, when you have, uh, it sounds like there might be a little bit of a delay here between us, but when you have the big budgets, let's say you have a $250, $300 million movie, you also have to figure that a certain percentage of that, probably 40% 40 of the box office ticket sales, are going to go to the movie theaters. And then you have on top of that... Uh, advertising and marketing, what they used to call PNA. You have prints and advertising, which which is we have to back when things were on film, they'd have to cover the cost of making the copies of the films and shipping them out, plus all of the marketing and advertising. So focus groups, pre pre screenings, uh, uh, all of the magazine ads and the newspaper ads and the radio spots and the TV spots and the trailers and all all this media blitz and everything. All of that costs money too. Probably you're looking at uh, for a 250 million dollar movie, you've got to do a billion, a billion five in order to start making a profit, especially with Hollywood accounting. So you're not that's working not, to your really. advantage. You're not working to an advantage by throwing in that size of a budget because now you're having to make more back. I mean, Man of Steel, uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, or whatever that was. They didn't make what the studio needed it to make for it to be considered a success, quote unquote. Whereas you look at something like Megan, which is only made for a, a percentage of that, you know, they make their money back in the first weekend and now they're in the black. And, you know, because if you make it if you make it for cheap and you know, you make it inexpensive, a lower budget, you say a 30 or 50 million dollar picture. And then it goes on to make five hundred million, seven hundred and fifty million, or whatever. Then you have a ton of profit that's on top of that. That then you can go back in and justify a sequel if you're going to do that, or or a series or so, or so. The studio looks at that and goes, "We have a hit." And then right. whoever is whoever is producing that film, say a, you know like a James Wan or somebody or Jim Cameron. You know, can can write his own ticket and say, "Hey, you know, I just made you X amount of profit. Now I want to go make this movie." And the studio says, "Well, you made us this much mo- this much money on this project. What do you want to do next?" That's one of the reasons why Warner Brothers wants to get John, uh, wants to get Christopher Nolan back because Christopher Nolan's movies make money, and he left because of that whole kerfuffle about day and date and releasing it digitally at the same time on streaming as it is out in the theaters. And Nolan said, thank you, no. And he went over to Universal. And Warner Brothers would love to get Jonathan, uh, would love to get Christopher Nolan back because Nolan's, Nolan's movies, even though they're expensive, they make a lot of money. Yeah. And the studio wants a piece of that. Yeah. So, so that, I wanted to ask one more question. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of avenues I can go off on this. I want to ask this question in case I got to head out here too. Mm-hmm. So uh, yesterday, uh, Cameron said something in the, in the show about the uh, writer's strike. Yeah. And he said that, uh, you know, it seems like there's just a lot of writers who 
they just want to be attached to projects and get paid, but not they don't don't really need to be in the writing room or they don't need to write them at this point. No, no, no. You know, that's forcing the, them. No, that's not what he said. Taylor Sheridan, who makes 1923 Yellowstone, Taylor Sheridan writes all of his scripts yeah. all by himself. He doesn't have a writer's yeah. room and he doesn't want a writer's room unless, unless it's his idea. He doesn't want the studios coming in and saying, you have to have six in six writers in your writer's room and two of them have to be women, and one of them has to be gay, and one of them has to be black, and all of this stuff. He's like, I don't want this, because if you yeah. mandate to me, as a producer, if you mandate to me that I've got to have six people in the writer's room, I'm writing everything. That six people, I'm never going to see them, and they get a paycheck for doing nothing. Because he's basically saying, you can tell me that I have to have them, but they're not going to do any work. And that's not a good deal anyway, because you know, yeah, they'll get paid, but they're not doing anything. I don't as even far understand that. How are you going to pay these guys? So well, another thing, yeah. So well, yeah, that's so part of the, that's part of the budget. That's part of the budget for the paid. show. That's if factored into. They want to get paid more. <laughs> it's factored in. Okay. Yeah. So they want to get paid more for. Uh, based on. Sh- streaming views because it's it's different you were saying yeah than syndication okay so how does that work and then i have a question and i have a comment about that okay so so syndication in the old in ye olden days uh you had a television show that ran its first run between say september and may yeah 22 episodes of star trek and they're written by ronald d moore and renee echeverria and then you get into reruns, and then you get into syndication. So once the show is done in their first run on the network, yeah. then they go into reruns. So now you're watching you're watching WKRP on your little independent station channels sixty two or whatever instead of NBC, and every single time that series gets picked up at a syndication package. So the TV stations pay the syndicator, like say King World, for example. Uh, King World gets paid a licensing fee. So if I'm running a TV station, I pay King World. I want to get Wheel of Fortune on my my TV station. So I pay King World. King World pays the people who make Wheel of Fortune. Mm-hmm. And King World keeps track of all of the different places where that show is being aired in syndication. And all of the affidavits and the legal paperwork and everything else, that keeps track of how many times the show runs, how many times each episode airs, because TV stations have to keep track of all of that and they have to file that yeah. with, you know, they have to file that paperwork. So I can sit there and say, okay, well, episode 12 ran twice in Chicago. It ran three times in San Diego and all this. And based on those numbers, everybody who gets royalties and residuals, they'll get paid based on that. You can't do that with streaming because streaming, it's, you know, if I, if I watch it, it's there on the streaming channel. I can watch it however many times I want to watch it. And the only way that you know that it's being watched, at least as far as we know, is the watch time. 
So you don't have any kind of tracking mechanism to to evaluate and measure how many times an episode gets seen by an audience because it's not on any particular schedule. And so now the writers are sitting there going, well, we want some kind of fair compensation package because we don't have the rerun model anymore. We need some other way of determining how many times did our work get in front of an audience. And so the watch time, the watch minutes, all of that stuff is going to factor into that because if I sit there and I've got a 60-minute episode and it has 180 minutes watch time, that means that it's been watched three times, roughly. So either three people have watched it once or one person's watched it three times, doesn't matter. You've got 80 minutes of watch time, which means I get paid for that show based on that amount of time. But the the contracts don't have any of that stuff in it because this is all brand new stuff. This is the same thing that happened in 2008 when they did this the 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 online webisode argument. Because nobody had a model for it. There wasn't a financial model for it and there weren't any set compensation packages and that's one of the reasons why they had a writer strike in 2008. Just because nobody nobody had any idea how they were going to do that, so I you know it's 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 still one of those things that are very much in flux. A lot of that comes from the fact that the streamers don't want to release that data. So yeah, I don't understand. Well, they don't have to because there's no contract. And and it, and just to be clear, I want to be clear on something. In syndication, it didn't matter if anybody was watching it. It only mattered at the channel was airing it at a certain time. That's right. So, yeah. So, I mean, I have some ideas about how this could work out for them to get paid, but I want to think about it more before I say something. Well, Maybe right now, future, I mean, because- right now the model is the the only the only the only solid piece of measurement that they've got right now is is watch time. It's the same as same as with YouTube. You know, I, I could have 25,000 subscribers, but if I've only got 250 minutes of watch time, that tells me I don't have an audience. Nobody's nobody's watching. So it's it's still one of those things that's very much in flux. When 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 a show aired. Still didn't even make my comment on one minute. <laughs> but when a show airs on its first run, yeah, they're just getting their their payment was for making the show, right? And that's it. Yes. Not for it being on the air. Right. Or that's later. They get those residuals later. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I have some ideas, but I, I'm the one to talk about those right now. So I did want to <laughs> I did want to bring up this comment though. Okay. So based on what based on what I'm hearing about that. To me, it just sounds like if you're going to be in streaming and you're going to start working with these writers, I think there's going to be more, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to say this right, but let's say, you know, I'm a streaming service and, you know, let, I'm going to take Willow, for instance. Mm-hmm. And now, hey, we're going to make Willow. So I pay the writers. They write my show. We get it going. This show's total garbage. It's not, nobody's watching it. Nobody cares about this show. Your show's just going to get pulled. 
And I think that's what's, I think that's what's, this is kind of opening the door towards that a lot of shows are going to get written and then just pulled right away because they'd be like, these shows aren't good. And you're not. Well, that's 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 happened before. Make, I mean, you're there not have been get any residuals. You're not going to get anything because you just kind of fail. Yeah, but there's there's shows that that kind of thing has happened before. You'll have shows that have been canceled after two episodes because there's no there's no numbers. You know, that's not anything new. The networks have done that. You know, they'll cancel a show after two episodes. They'll cancel a show after six episodes. They'll cancel a show after one um, there's even, you know, there are even models where they will pay for a pilot and you get paid for the work and the show never airs because once you get past pilot season, the networks look at the pilot and they say, yeah, we, uh, we're not going to, we're not going to do the, we're not going to do the deal. We're not going to pick this up as a series. And that pilot never gets on the air to begin with. So the, the, how much people get paid for making the show that doesn't change whether or not the show ever makes it on the air or not the residuals come after repeat performances so if if you're and it doesn't come from the streaming service it doesn't come from the network the networks and the streaming services pay the production company like warner brothers television or fox television or universal uh studios or whatever and then the 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 production company pays the writers and the and the and the crew and the and the actors and all of that, so all of that's all of that's determined. Now, the fees that you know the licensing fees and the broadcast and the distribution fees that the streaming services and the networks pay to the studios, that goes toward covering the costs of making the thing. Mm-hmm. And so then you know if I've got a pilot that I've made and I've paid for and everybody's thing, and then NBC decides we're not going to pick it up. Then I could shop that around, and maybe USA will, or maybe ABC, or maybe Fox will look at it. In which case, it gets picked up for a series, and then you get paid every time for every episode that you do. And then, yeah, uh, like Mazur says, once you get past a certain number of episodes, then you can put it together in a syndication package, and you can make it available for other stations to run independently. And that's where the money starts to come in. And that's one of the reasons why they don't want to make it. Well, it does. It does because, you know, you've got you've got streaming networks will pay the fee to, you know, I want to run Frasier on on Netflix, so Netflix is going to pay for Frasier. So, yeah, but but for instance like uh, um Lost in Space that Netflix just put out. First of all, a lot of TV shows seem to be taking this European model where we do short seasons, eight to ten episodes. Right. But Netflix is paying all the money, and then they're just keeping it on there. So that's never going to run into a syndication. And maybe, maybe what well, it streaming needs to do it is doesn't they need stay. To say, Look. It doesn't stay on on the streaming network forever. Those syndicate those Where's those streaming go? well they, it goes they it goes wherever. It on well, off. if they pull it off, there's a there's a chance that the production company well, like with with the Marvel shows, you know, uh, Netflix had a deal with Marvel and it expired at a certain point, and then the shows get pulled from the streaming service. We have we have those monthly updates every 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 time yeah. where they have this master list of here's everything that's leaving Netflix. 
Here's everything that's leaving Hulu. Those things have expiration dates on those syndication deals. Alexander Trapp joining us as well. Welcome, sir. How are you, sir? How you doing? Hello. I figured, you know, I was up this morning and I saw that, you know, uh, the show was on. So I was like, hey, why don't I drop in and say hello to Jason and, and everybody? <laughs> Uh, we do have a comment over on Odyssey. Let me get to it real quick. Road Vagabond Life. We're talking about shared universes earlier. He says, I refuse to see any movie that's a universe or any sequel for 10 years now. Just look at the great independent movies out there like RRR, uh, Hollywood, <laughs> Better Fear, India, and the like. We were talking about this yesterday, uh, especially with the thing, you know, with the, with the writer's strike. You're going to have networks and streaming services looking to Korea, India, um, Japan, China. Japan, yep. You know, there's there's productions mm-hmm. that are happening all around the world that do not depend on American talent uh, to be done, and I think I think we're going to start seeing more of that because we're we're at a point where you have a couple of different generations that have grown up with anime being uh, subtitled. <coughs> People are a mm-hmm. little bit more open to that now than they than they have been. So. I expect, you know, if Cameron's right and the writer strike goes on through Labor Day, uh, then I figure we're probably going to get some more programming from outside North America soon. Sooner rather yeah. than later. And I, I've got to find out what happens in the next Godzilla movie. You know, I liked this. <laughs> this was fun. <laughs> Yeah. So I get, and they're all, they're filming the next one. They already released the teaser for it. So I right. I, I got to find out what happens with Godzilla and Kong. So see, and that's the thing. I don't we have, mind the idea. Yeah. We have Sorry, we have Jason. we have a certain number of projects that are still in the pipeline that were far enough along that the writer strike doesn't affect them. But mm-hmm. the back half of 2024 into 2025, there's going to be uh, it, it, tumbleweeds. Yeah. If they don't yeah, get if they don't get this gap. figured out, yeah. yeah, it's going to be like pandemic all over again. Only this time, mm-hmm. only this time, everybody still is able to get out and go do mm-hmm. other things and spend what little discretionary income the economy lets them have. You know, th- nobody's nobody's just locked up in their homes like we were pandemic. So you know, you can't go yeah. spend your money then. But now. You can go to eat. You could go to the music park. You could go to the museum. You could go to whatever. You don't have to go to the mm-hmm. museum. You don't have to go to the movies. We'll go do something else. Exactly. So, and people will also entertain themselves. You know, yeah. this will be a great time for um, independent creators such as myself, you know, to make things and to fill in the gap because people will look for something to watch. So they'll be like, uh, okay, what's on YouTube? And, you know, maybe there might be an amazing animated or live action project out there that independent creators are making. So this is really a great time for independent creators to fill in that gap that it is be left behind from the writer's strike yeah. and the delays. Well, and, and if the if the unions continue what they're doing and if you have membership uh, that switches over and I don't know if SAG is this same way. Uh, as far as the actor side of things, but if they go FICOR and they sit there and say, "Okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to pay my dues so your union can keep going, but I'm not going to be a voting member anymore because I want to go work," and you get writers that you know people like a Steven Soderbergh or a George Lucas or a Quentin Tarantino or somebody who sits there and says, "You know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go write this movie, 
and Writers Guild, you're not going to be able to do anything about it because I'm FICOR, because I want money, because I got bills to pay. And I would imagine that SAG has some kind of similar structure. So if you have somebody like, a, you know, a, a Scarlett like Johansson or a George yeah. Clooney <laughs> or somebody who sits there and says, you know what, we've been on strike way too long. This is a mess. Let's get our act together. I'm going FICOR so I can go work. And mm-hmm. then you get independent projects, and it's some. And I don't know if MS was the one who mentioned this. Somebody mentioned this earlier. You know, the drive-in movies. You know, the drive-in movie theaters. That was that was a big place for a lot of indie, schlock, exploitation films, but low-budget stuff. Whether it's horror mm-hmm. films or action movies, you know, your grindhouse stuff. All of that's going to come back. And I think it's going to come back in a big wave. And, you know, once the studios get their act together, I would see they'd probably be doing some some dramas, some cop thrillers, things that don't cost a whole lot of money. There was, you know, there's movies like Sabrina, um, Consenting Adults, you know, Ordinary People, those things where it's just a bunch of people talking. And there's Kramer versus Kramer. I mean, you don't have to have razzle dazzle shoot 'em up explosions and do a Michael Bay f- film. Sky beams. You could just do, <laughs> just do a a, a character piece, mm-hmm. and those are much less expensive. But you can yeah, also was, do uh, the horror stuff, yeah. like you know, like Evil Dead or or whatnot, and and just get buckets of blood and a couple of skimpy dressed girls and a chainsaw, and you're gone. Just do it. <laughs> yep. There was a um, a fan film that uh, Thomas Jane made, you know, a while back where it was like an unofficial sequel to his Punisher. Yes. And he wanted to do it, but, you know, the studios weren't, you know, going to do another movie with him. So, you know, he worked with a, you know, it, it was it was a passion project. And you could see that come across the screen. It didn't need huge explosions, you know, didn't need a sky beam or, you know, aliens. It's just... Um, it was just a labor of love and violence and yeah. <laughs> it was great. Well, and you've because got, you could, yeah. yeah, you've got production companies like bat in the sun doing, the sun, yeah. you know, doing a Batman fan films, you know, you've got Batman, mm-hmm. uh, Batman, Batman uh, versus uh, Vader was great. <laughs> you've got that one, but you've also got Batman dead end, which was a brilliant dead, piece yeah. and, and gave us a really cool it Joker was, with yeah. Andy, uh, with Andrew Koenig. Uh, before he passed away and mm-hmm. you know kevin porter yep. makes a really good batman he's been doing a oh, bunch of yeah. different things kevin porter's amazing but now. but the technology is such now where you can do these things less expensively on your computer on mm-hmm. your laptop i mean i could do all sorts of stuff here and somebody mm-hmm. says better start making that children of the ghost corn right away well, nice. see, and the thing about it is, though, you know, you, uh, you know, Road Vagabond mentioned Stephen King. Stephen King has had a policy in the past, and I don't know if he still does, his dollar babies. You know, he'll license some of his work for a dollar, and you go adapt it. I don't know if he still does this anymore, but he used to, that you could adapt Stephen King stories as films or, or short films or feature whatever, and you wouldn't have to pay that much for the licensing fee. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, you find the, something out there that's, you know, well, Tim and I did an adaptation of the statement of Randolph Carter by H.P. Lovecraft. 
it's in the mm. public domain. We don't we don't have to pay a licensing fee to anybody anyway. And we make yeah. this short film and we did it as a period piece. So, you know, you have costumes and we had, you know, there's a there's an antique car club here in town and so we got us a couple of 1919 uh, Model T types. And we nice. shot we shot outside of a house that looks like a castle, and that's Miskatonic University because I had shot a commercial there, and I said, "Hey, we're looking for this place that could be the campus of a school. Could we do this? Because it's it literally looks like a castle. It doesn't yeah. look like a house. It was like we want to do this, and so you know there are people out there, independent producers, independent filmmakers who have the means." Mm -hmm. Whether it's just people we know or, you know, stuff that we can do on the cheap and it doesn't cost us a whole lot of money. I shot an entire feature length film, romantic comedy, in a week with a crew of 11. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, it's the it's technology gap. Yeah, the technology has gap is, is shrunk. Weird. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of that the, was a huge barrier of entry. Sorry, go ahead. Jason. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying some of the Star Trek fan films have stuff, you know, have have CG that looks just as good or better than the official uh -huh. stuff. Star Trek continues, uh, Axanar, you know, when that was done, that was just people sitting, you know, on a chair in front of a green screen in costume with some CG, um, you know, shots interspersed in between. Yeah. And, and it was great. And, you know, the, the acts in our production, whatever, documentary. <laughs> yeah. Are we buffering? Yeah, no, absolutely uh, fantastic, uh, which also I think let uh, a bit. You had some robo voice going on yeah, for a while. Okay. All right. Uh, but, but yeah, like one of the biggest barriers uh, of entry to for anybody to make something was the technology gap. Film yeah. cameras, you know, creating props and all that stuff was hugely expensive, you know, 20, 25, you know, years ago. And I remember like one of the first Star Wars fan films I ever saw, Troops, which was a parody of cops, but with mm -hmm. stormtroopers on Tatooine, you know, that was said to be a, a very, I think that was the most expensive fan film that had been created at the time. Yeah. Um, I believe the 501st costuming group uh, was also a part of that, but but still. But now, you know, 20, 25 years later, everything has just shrunk completely. People can, you know, master 3D animation like I'm trying to do and make amazing looking uh, animated films on the level of, well, classic Pixar, not not, not modern day Pixar. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's the same with... Uh, live action uh, independent films as well. You know, people are shooting stuff on their phones and it's still, it looks fantastic. I, I read a quote from the Star Wars uh, book about the prequels that I have where uh, either George Lucas or Rick McCallum states that you could shoot on like, uh, you know, 16 millimeter film or whatever it is and it can look terrible. You could shoot on... Uh, like a Super 8 camera, and it can look fantastic. It just depends upon the skill of the filmmaker. Yep. And there are, are so many talented people out there right now. Like uh, Stephen He, great uh, comedic actor, doing stuff on his YouTube channel. 
uh, Ryan George doing stuff on his YouTube channel. There, there's just there's so many great creators just doing stuff right now that rivals or is better than the stuff we're getting out of Hollywood. Well, and and the AI thing is going to be a be a, a factor Another as well that too because the writer strike also that's that's one of the things you know the writers are like we don't want any AI stuff taking our taking our jobs, and now with Secret Invasion using mm-hmm. AI for their open uh, for their opening title sequence. Now the company yep. the company that made that said AI didn't replace anybody that was working on this thing. We didn't do AI in place of CG artists putting this together. Mm-hmm. But at the same time concept wise, you know, I've seen some photographs, I've seen some AI generated stuff that looks really close. AI is getting very close to getting the fingers mm-hmm. figured out. And once they get the fingers figured out, then you're not going to be able to tell the difference <laughs> yeah, because <that> ends. <laughs> all I got to do mm-hmm. is sit there and say, Hey, Scarlett Johansson, if I pay you $5,000 for your likeness, can I use your likeness and create an AI generated character here for five minutes in my movie? And you don't have to do anything. You just have to send me a photograph and I'll just do this here. And she said, yeah, sure. I mean, it's an easy five grand. Yeah. And, like, and can Cam, I interject some here? Cam says what? they... The way, you're, the way he's talking about AI, man, it's not like the Blade Runner movie. Oh, it's those It's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, there's so many AI pictures out there of fingers and hands yeah. in the wrong place, or there's too many, <laughs> or... it Like, I saw... Uh, there, there's a funny spoof out there called Harry Spotter where everyone is at Hogwarts and they are just <laughs> jacked and juiced as all heck. And it, it is so funny, but there's a lot of pictures where the hands are not in the right place. Yeah. And I've seen some of that where AI has gotten smart that they're, that it's starting to hide the hands and you, mm-hmm. you can't exactly tell, uh, Matt, joining us in the chat. Welcome, uh, Cam. No, the, the, the company that did the title sequence for, uh, for Secret Invasion, they the way they've said it. I mean, their team internally they already had employees in place. They didn't hire someone specifically for it, but they didn't not hire someone. So it's it's yeah. you know kind the, of talking the, out of both sides of the mouth. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, if I'm if I'm given the job of creating a thirty second commercial for for a client, mm-hmm. and if I sit there and I say, okay chat gpt give me a 30 second script this you know here are all the parameters but about 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 and and chat generates it i'm still pulling that and doing the work and and doing you know massaging the script and then i've got to go and make the tv commercial and all that that's kind of the scenario that i see spinning out with this because they are they had to still create the actual sequence Mm-hmm. using their tools, you know, which includes AI, but somebody still has to do the work to assemble all of that piece. So yeah, it's not ending, just, you know. hey, AI, do this thing, and nobody ever touches it. So it's not like anybody, they said nobody lost their job over mm-hmm. this. We, our team did this using this tool. And it actually kind of works concept-wise, given the subject matter of Secret Invasion. But yeah. the danger is, and John Favreau even talked about this 
with uh, with all of the stuff they're doing with the volume. He's like, there's you know, all of this stuff with face replacement and de-aging and re-speecher and everything else. The danger is, if I have that technology available to me, I can make a video <clears throat> with... I could make a video of George Lucas saying, well, yeah, I'm going to buy Lucasfilm back tomorrow and I'm going to spend $3 billion for it. You know, yeah. And and suddenly this thing goes viral and it's mm-hmm. not true. Yeah. Or I could make a I could make a video of Quentin Tarantino co- confessing to a whole lot of serial killings. It was I, anything is possible and that's the danger, yeah. that's the risk. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I jumped in on, on something that was said yeah. earlier. Sure. You know, I don't, I, I, Jason, I assume you're as old as me. I don't, I don't know Alexander's age. I'm 37. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm be 45 here in a few weeks. All right. <laughs> so, you know, when we were kids, I feel like um, the big budget movie, I, I'll use like a, a food analogy. It's the dessert. And what, and what made that, what would allow the dessert was that you had all these movies being made like we're talking about now. We got to get back to these smaller budget movies, you know, we're star driven, where it's like, hey, we're, we want to see, we want to see the Kevin Cox, we want to see Harrison Ford. It doesn't matter what he's in, we go see Harrison Ford, mm. we go see this, right? And I'm thinking about that. And I was just thinking, you know, there's almost, we're almost at a point where there's a whole generation of uh, kids. And maybe even young adults at this point who only know big budget tent movie, big budget pole movie. Here's mm-hmm. the big budget movie. Here's the right. And when we were when we were younger, you know, we might go to that movie several times. Yeah, I'm gonna go watch, you know, uh, Return of the Jedi three or four times because I was paying three or four dollars for a ticket. Mm. But when you live in New York City and you make, let's say, let's take the Flash for instance. And maybe you and your date go out and it costs you 60 bucks or $70. And you have so much more. You go home, you have all your streaming now, you have your YouTube, you have all these things. You go, you watch your Flash movie, you go home. You're not going to go watch it. Three, if you, let's say you were paying $30 a ticket just yeah. for yourself. You're going to spend $90 to go watch Flash three times because you really like DC. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, over uh, over on the Odyssey uh, side, we've got David in there. How's it going? It says didn't didn't know this is a conference call. This is Open Line Friday. It's a it's a concept mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I have lifted from talk radio. So basically, the the links there in the chat. Uh, so anybody who wants to, to to jump in on the call with questions and comments about stuff that's happening trending news and that sort of thing mm-hmm. so it it's it's not an exclusionary thing we're we're inclusive here <coughs> uh and snob you're right you're describing the difference between a movie star and an actor working actors i mean harrison ford is a working actor he's also mm-hmm. a, he's also one of the last movie stars i think that's that's something that you can say about like i said before a handful a handful of people. A handful, yeah. But like, say, if yeah, I was going to do, is some... oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'll go ahead. I was gonna... a movie star is someone who has enough charisma and influence that they will interest you in watching their project, no matter what it is. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, this person's in this movie. I want to go see it because yeah. they're in that movie. Yeah, an actor is just like, oh, okay, I didn't know they were in this, but you know, 
But see, I could <laughs> you know, do they're, they're, they're... I could do a thing. Well, say say the studio wants to say, okay, we're coming back. We got to figure out how to get stuff in. If you gave mm-hmm. me a really tight cop thriller script, mm-hmm. and if I've got a budget of say eighty million dollars. I go and get somebody like a Justin Long, Jay Baruchel, Donald Glover. They're recognizable names, but they're mid-level. They're not super recognizable, star power, really expensive names. Mm-hmm. And I can still have that. And let's say I get Linda Carter to play the police captain, and she's in for a couple of days. You know, those mm-hmm. kind of things. You, you, the way you spend your money... You can get your talent on camera, behind the camera, and like like you were saying before, it's yeah, it could be Super 8, it could be 16, it could be iPhone. It's depending on who's mm-hmm. actually working the camera, what kind of picture you get. Mm-hmm. And you could do a really solid film, like uh, what was that one with Billy Crystal and and Gregory Hines, Running Scared. Mm-hmm. You know, scared. it's a cop show. It's a cop movie, mm-hmm. and it's they're they're not as expensive as the big superhero blockbuster stuff. You don't have all this CGI. You might have to lock down a, a neighborhood no. to do a chase. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a couple of different action sets in this thing, and most of it's talk. Mm-hmm. As long as it's as long as the script is telling a really solid story, and you go from one to, to the next to the next, and you move that along, you could do mm-hmm. those kind of things. And, you know, the, the movie star builds up their their influence, their star power, you know, that mag, that magnetism that draws you to them mm-hmm. over time because they are in things that you enjoy. And, and that, that kind of also extends to certain directors. You know, Steven Spielberg mastered the, the, the big summer blockbuster. So anytime Spielberg was doing a movie, you know, this is in the earlier days before sequels, you know, were just the the trusted thing to go. It's like, oh, my God, it's a Steven Spielberg movie. You know, we kind of have that nowadays with people like uh, Christopher Nolan, Peter Jackson, you know, to a certain extent. He hasn't directed too much lately. But, you know, if Peter Jackson was directing some sort of big adventure genre movie yeah you would be interested in seeing it because you want want to see what he's done because you loved his work in the lord of the rings trilogy and you have warner brothers who understands that Mm -hmm. which is why they're having conversations Mm -hmm. with peter jackson for the new Mm -hmm. lord of the rings stuff that's going to be in Mm -hmm. probably in that same universe as what he did over at new line you know Mm -hmm. everybody's like oh they're rebooting lord of the rings no they're not they're doing they're doing new stuff and yeah, they're talking spin-offs. to Peter Jackson, which mm-hmm. tells me Warner Brothers knows where their money's coming from. You know, where who's going mm-hmm. to make money for them when it comes to Lord of the Rings? It's Peter Jackson, and it's not going to be Amazon. Yeah. And be, like, if you got someone like, uh, you know, let's say I was directing a Lord of the Rings movie, you'd be like, who the heck is this trap guy? Why, why yeah. is he <laughs> getting to yeah. direct Lord of the Rings over so many more talented and recognizable people who have done things that people enjoyed? Well, so, and James yeah. <laughs> James Mangold is a good example there. I mean, when, when we found mm-hmm. out that James Mangold was going to direct Indiana Jones 5, the first thing is, what else has he done? And mm-hmm. you get Ford versus Ferrari, you get Logan, and he's got a track record and people are like, oh, okay, Indiana Jones mm-hmm. is in good hands with James Mangold. So we thought. 
<laughs> might might still. I mean, yeah, the reviews yeah. the reviews are pretty tepid, and it sounds like it's going to be a pretty lame picture. Yeah. But it, but it sounds like Mangold is running into not just what he's got to do for the movie, but what's got to go behind the scenes in the movie. So I don't know, it could yeah. be that he was stuck. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, uh, D- David over on Odyssey. Yeah, I'm 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 not very quick about responding to a lot of different things because I'm looking at. Let me show you here. I'm looking at. Oh, show the display again. I'm looking at five different monitors tracking all of the stuff that's going on here in Master Control. So just just to let you know, I am I am keeping an eye on the chat in five different <laughs> five different channels. So so that's uh, that's what's going on there. But I do appreciate you being here. I I really do. Um, yes, thank you, everybody. It, it, it I don't know. It's. The strike is going to play for a while. I mean, we're past the 45-day 45, 45 mark, so we've got the force majeure letters going out, which means projects are being canceled now. And not just delayed, not just put on hold, but actually shut down, we're done. So how many of those get revived and resurrected at another studio later? Who knows? Uh, but, uh, you know, depending on how much money it costs to do the startup all over, uh, cause you're basically starting from square one all over again. So mm-hmm. I don't know. There's going to be some studios that sit there and say, not going to do it. If it, if it yeah. costs us more than a hundred, if, if it costs more than a hundred million, we're, we're, we're not going to do it. So, yeah, there'll probably be a greater demand for, um, you know, they'll call it like four quadrant, but budget, style movies you know things that will not cost a lot but yeah i do think there will be also a demand for proven you know franchises with track records that hopefully haven't been destroyed yet yeah. if <laughs> you know, the, if the studios you know. are smart about it that 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 yeah. assume that assumes a lot yeah because i, I mean, can i still keep gone, seeing complaints you know? <laughs> about david zaslav and what he's been doing over at warner brothers it was like I was like, Zaslav has to save a company. Yeah. You know, there there are billions of dollars in the red, and he's been brought in. You know, this whole deal with the merger with Discovery, this this is everything that he's doing over there, ha- is is with the intention of make money and survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and movie wise, we haven't really seen like the results of his efforts yet we're still getting like the back end yeah and i mean that in you know the worst way possible the back end of the stuff from the previous regime at warner brothers so you know things are going to take time but people are reasonably frustrated because they're seeing what's coming out now you know black adam shazam and now the flash and they're they've been mediocre i haven't seen the flash yet um it's but you know not seen good. all the reviews oh, okay well it's, it's not good it's not good we we were, we go. reviewed it we reviewed it on h2o saturday it's not good and i have a friend i'm not gonna i'm not gonna name drop him but i have a friend he went to see it at like a special screening like a couple of weeks ago and he said he loved it he said it was the best movie since the dark night mm-hmm. and i was like okay that's high praise and you know now a few weeks later people are coming out like this sucks this it's, is awful. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh, it's, I, I it's will watch good. it. But, it's yeah. it's watchable, and mm-hmm. if you, if you turn your brain 
off to or, or set it to set it to cottage cheese mode, then then it might oh it might entertain you. And I got to say, Ezra Miller, for all of what's been going on in the real world with Ezra Miller, he does his best work as Barry Allen in this movie. All of the times we've seen him as Barry Allen, all the different things, he does his best work as Barry Allen in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's still not actually really Barry Allen, but the character that he's playing, he does a he yeah. turns in a really good performance. It's not enough to to save the picture, and and a lot of people are sitting there going, "I'm not going to go see it because Ezra Miller's in it." You know, yeah. the fact that Michael Keaton is back as Batman is not enough to offset that that whole Ezra mm-hmm. Miller situation. And Warner Brothers knows that. I don't think they expect to make any money off of that p- picture. Which is but weird it's, because it's they too canceled big. Batgirl, but why why release the Flash? Because they have know? three hundred million dollars in the Flash, and they only had seventy two million in Batgirl. And it's easier. I mean, I, it's I, easier to write off something that is not that far along in the production. Now, what what they're hoping to do, probably, because Batgirl was a bunch of unknown factors. The only thing that you knew was was Michael Keaton. With yeah. the Flash, you've got the whole Snyderverse thing, and Ezra Miller's yeah. as Barry, and and Michael Keaton, and Ben Affleck, and all this, and. Mm-hmm. It's far enough along in production when Zaslav and Discovery come in and with the merger and everything, it's it's kind of hard to scrap it. So what I figure they're probably doing, and I'm guessing, what I, what I figure they're probably doing is go ahead and put it in the theaters, get whatever money that we can get, because it's going to, so let's say we make $150 million on a $300 million picture. That's 150 that we have to write off instead of 300 that we write off. So I think yeah. what they're trying to do right now is take whatever they get at the box office and then home video, DVD, Blu-ray sales or whatnot to offset whatever the, whatever this thing actually costs. And then they write down the balance as opposed to writing down everything. Yeah. But it doesn't even look like they're going to make any thing close to even breaking even on the flash they're not so it'll have to be a loss but what they're trying to do i figure they're probably mitigating that loss so it's not as bad although you know if i write off 300 million dollars on my taxes you know what are you gonna do Mm. but Uh, i don't know hopefully not get um uh the irs on you (laughs) for being like that seems seems a little fishy (laughs) yeah well, and, and, you know, especially given how much in debt Warner Brothers Discovery still is, you have, you know, you have all of the, there's only so much that they can write off on their taxes. And, yeah. you know, and, and Disney's doing the same thing. Disney's writing off projects. They're scrapping things because they've got to come up with money to, to buy out uh, Comcast for Hulu in January. They're scrambling. Yep, so long, Willow. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they're scrambling, because I, I don't know if you heard yesterday, because Cameron was talking about he's got a friend of his who was a showrunner on a Disney project somewhere. I don't know if it was ABC mm-hmm. or Disney Channel or whatever. And I, whoever it is, PricewaterCooper or whoever whoever is doing the audits, they're going over the books with a fine-tooth comb, and they figured out that they had overpaid this guy and wanted mm. money back on the order of right, something like yeah. $250,000. That's unheard yeah. of. 
Yeah, like, hey, we want our money back. Like, what? Yeah, that <laughs> right. says that says a couple of things. That says that there are very, 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 very particular audits going on, and they're looking at everything, and they're strapped for cash, liquid assets, and money that they can use to turn around mm. and and fulfill their obligation. This is not a this is not a a choice that they have at the end of this year, January, 2024, they are going to be required to buy out Comcast. That's how the deal is structured yep. is my understanding. They're stuck with the bill yep. and they're going to have to somehow figure out how do they compensate Comcast and buy out Comcast stuff and what they're going to end up doing. Cause they got to have enough cash that they can give Comcast the cash instead of shares of ownership in the Walt Disney Company, because that's not going to fly with the SEC. I mean, yep. Disney already owns way too much anyway, and for Comcast to come in and own a piece of Disney, mm -hmm. uh, SEC is going to sit there and go, you know, I don't think that this is a. I, I, yeah, no, you're not going to be able to do yeah. that. <clears throat> Yeah, All right. Disney is in a is in a world of hurt, but they did it to themselves. Well, yeah, <laughs> they did. Because, them, well, because you, you know Bob Iger sitting out there spending money like a drunk Democrat, saying, oh, just, "I want to buy buy Marvel." Thanks, MS. It's good to see you. Uh, Take care, MS. It was no wait. I want that one. <clears throat> that one. So mm -hmm. you've got you've got I Disney. Want that one. <laughs> well, I mean, we have the Disney princesses. And I, I understand a strategy. You know, we want. You know, we've already got the girls. We need something to attract yeah. a male audience, so they buy up Marvel, they buy up Lucasfilm, and and mm -hmm. and and proceed to emasculate them and turn them all into focused on the on the girls. Anyway, it's like, wait a minute. I know it's like what what happened here? Your your whole your whole strategy was to try <laughs> to get the the young male audience. Yeah. Like you said, they bought these properties that primarily appealed to young males and then, like you said, emasculated them and purposefully put women above and over them by kicking the men down. Not just being like, hey, let's work together. It's no, it's our turn now. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you heard that in various media right. uh, things? Like, it's... Well our turn when jody when, <laughs> jo when jody whitaker was cast as the doctor you know yeah the it's, glass ceiling it's her thing, story you know? and so no real no, come on really yeah, yeah. make her, yeah what yeah. makes her a hero you yeah. know with captain marvel yeah it, and uh, ms yeah. Uh, uh hopefully hopefully it's not a bad storm uh lock down yeah. and, and keep your head down stay safe yeah, I hope I didn't talk uh, over you, uh, MS. I, I didn't even properly well, say hello there was, to you when I came on. So. I think we've had a bunch of delays today. I don't know if it's my internet or if it's just everything, but uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we're we're working on it, doing stuff. So, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, looks like we got a little drama started between Batweed and Camp. No, you guys. I know. I know. I know. Y'all are giving each other just a hard time. All yeah. right. So, um, with all of that, let me let me go ahead and uh, start wrapping up here a little bit because you you would not believe the pile that I still have for tomorrow's show that I've got to get oh done. My. So it is it's going to be a packed a packed program in the morning. Um, yeah. So 
anyway, yeah, it's gonna be well, it's gonna be one of those things. So, I'm glad I could stop by. I'm glad I'm we too. could you know chat a little bit. You know, I uh, I don't do this too often because I'm usually not up <laughs> this early. <laughs> um, the only reason I woke up this early is Sega was doing a a stream dedicated to Sonic the Hedgehog and lots ah. of new merchandise and games and things. So I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do a stream to react to it. So, yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, Alexander has a channel on YouTube and on Twitch. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a Trap Productions. Uh, you can find the link to that in last night's uh, Ranker Pit. So, uh, so go check out his channel. And all of you in the chat, widgets everywhere, good to see all of you here. And we will do this again next week for another Open Line Friday. Um, don't forget tomorrow, let me see, where is it, 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 there it is, good morning multiverse at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, that is where we have our wrap-up of the week's headlines in science fiction, fantasy, and horror, video games, comic books, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff in the pile for tomorrow, uh, Star Wars news, Star Trek news, we got a bunch of stuff in the stack, so join us for that, and, uh, do check out our review of The Flash over the H2O podcast. And somewhere in the back, um, there was a show that we did. I should have said something right when I thought about it. There was a show that we did. Yeah. Um, somebody mentioned something that made me think about a conversation that we had had. Oh, 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 statement of Randolph Carter. on uh, In the H2O stack, we actually aired... The statement of Randolph Carter, our adaptation, our short film, we actually put that and ran oh. it as part of an H2O po uh, project, uh, H2O podcast. There, I did it again. Nice. I haven't done that in a while. Um, I'll need to find that and and put it back out there. But uh, yeah, on part of part of uh, one of the H2Os that we did, we we showed. It's not one hundred percent complete. <laughs> Some of the effects work is still done. One of the one of the problems we ran into was the the effects. the The gentleman that was working on the effects died of lung cancer, and oh. things have just kind of sat um, yeah. because we've all been very very busy and and haven't really gotten into doing anything to finish it. But it is yeah. at a point where people can watch it. Uh, so mm. we screened it. We screened it as part of H two O here a while back. Let me let me find that and timestamp it, and I'll post it onto social media. And that gives me my entry point to show you all of the social media list and the different video platforms where you can find us. The Discord server link is there. All of this stuff is in the show notes, uh, so you can find us on all the social media. Alexander, thanks for being here. MS, Robo thanks for voice. your call. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. It's gonna happen. All right, that's yeah. it for us today, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Uh, remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you. God has a plan for you, and there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.